Let us pray. Startle us, O God, with your truth and open us to your love. In this hour, may the mysteries of your scriptures come alive, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today is the second Sunday of Lent. We just enjoyed the second in a series of beautiful uh, music from Haydn's creation. And this is a part of a sermon series that Jana and I are preaching during Lent on the story of creation in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to talk about uh, one of those uh, parts of the story of creation this morning, and uh, the idea I'll be talking about in relationship to it is truth. To what extent is this story true? How do we understand and interpret the truths we receive from it? And in order to get into that idea, I'm going to start with uh, a passage of scripture that comes not from the creation story itself, but a couple of chapters later in Genesis chapter 3, the story that is traditionally known as the fall, the story of Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And in that story, once the serpent has caused Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, God says this to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. This is what we call an etiology. Doctors know all about etiologies. They discuss them frequently. An etiology is a cause of an ailment or a disease. It's the root cause of it. And when we talk about uh, etiologies, we don't just do it in medicine. Scholars who talk about ancient texts also speak about etiologies. They are found all over ancient texts. An etiology is something that appears in a story that explains why something in the world is the way that it is and when it began. And so when we read about the serpent in the book of Genesis, there is an etiology here in God's word. It explains why the serpent has no legs and crawls along the ground. Now the important point about reading an etiology is that it is not supposed to be understood as a fact. It is not supposed to be understood as a fact. And we know that not because of what we wise modern people know about science or about history. We know it because of what it says right there in the text. For not only are we told that the serpent will crawl along the ground, We are told in the very same passage that the serpent shall eat dust all the days of its life. And whether you are a person living in 2018 or in the ancient world, all you have to do is observe a snake to know that they do not, in fact, eat dust. They eat mice. 
and other things like that. And through some of these obvious observations, we can surmise that even people living in the ancient world knew the distinction between various kinds of truths. And in telling this etiology, they were trying to do something other than give us facts of science or of history. Now, having set the stage that way from Genesis chapter 3, let's return to chapter 1, in which we hear the story of Genesis told according to creation in seven days. And here, something quite similar is going on. We all have our questions about exactly how this worked out based on what we were taught in this in school about evolution or the origin of species or what we know about the ancient history of the world. But you don't need any of that in order to know that this first chapter of Genesis is trying to accomplish something other than strict, report uh, strict historical reportage. This is not factual history or science. It's trying to do something else. And again, you know that right in the text of the Bible, you don't need any of the tools of modern thought to figure this out, because if you read to the end of the first chapter of the book of Genesis, and you start into the second chapter, you read the creation story once again. And it's a different story. This time it takes place in the Garden of Eden, and the whole process of creation happens according to a different model and a different timeline, and it culminates at the end with Adam, who is lonely, the man, and God puts Adam to sleep, takes a rib from his side, and creates for him a companion, the woman. This story is so decidedly different that if you reach out and take the pew Bible that is in front of you and you open to Genesis chapter 2, the heading above it reads, Another Creation Story. Not just people like us living in 2018, but the people who read and told these stories for the first time were aware that they were not telling a story that was historically or scientifically literal and factual. They were expressing a different kind of truth. So what is that kind of truth? What is it that they're trying to say? And in order to know that, we need to dig a little bit deeper into the specifics. And so let's look together at the passage that we read as our scripture this morning. Verses 6 through 8 of Genesis chapter 1, the separation of the waters from the waters. It reads, And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Now, this sounds a little bit like separating the waters from the dry land, the creation of lakes or rivers or oceans. But that actually happens in the following verse, in verse 9. What's happening here is something different, something prior to that. This is the creation of what tradition calls the firmament. And at this time in the creation, what is being described is that God pushes back the waters into waters that are underneath the earth. 
and waters that are above them in the heavens, forming what will fall upon the earth and water it as rain. God pushes back the waters, and why? Because we are only in day two of the creation, and by separating and pushing back the waters, God creates a safe place where the next five days of creation may take place, and where God's creative work can continue in the world that is to come. It is in this space that the animals can be created and the human beings. It is in this space that we can live and love, that we can be fruitful and multiply and celebrate the world that God has given to us. In this world place where God has pushed back the waters and created for us a safe place. And that, my friends, that promise of safety and security and a place to call home, that, my friends, is a matter of profound truth. Now, at this point, I must admit to you that there is a commitment I make that is often difficult, but I try to keep it. I make this commitment to myself and to you when I write sermons that if I make an argument that I don't believe holds up, I'm going to admit it to you. And this morning, I don't think that the argument I just made about the creation of this safe space, I don't think that taken by itself, it quite holds up. And the reason for that is all around us this morning. Throughout our region and beyond, there are people this morning who are struggling with water, with floods, with water that is rising, that has not been held back, and it is reshaping their lives in ways that is frightening. This happened throughout the American South in months past in much more significant ways. There are ways time and time again that we see people suffer because the waters are not held back and the floods overwhelm them and it does not make us feel safe. Furthermore, in ways that have nothing to do with water, but everything to do with our feeling of safety and security in the world, in this past week, this argument has broken down. Once again, the lead stories in the news this week were all about a mass shooting in a school. And if you are a parent who has dropped off a child at school or watched a child board the bus, you know what it means to feel that the world is not always a safe place. This argument that God has created a place for us that is always safe, it does not always hold up. I find solace not in trying more and more vigilantly to stick to that story, to that one piece of truth, but to look for others. And that is why I began this morning not with a story from the creation, but with a story from Adam, Eve, and the serpent. 
Because the fact is, there are many times in life where one thing is true only if you can also say that something else is true. There are many times in life where you can only say that one thing is true if you can also say that something else is true. And I believe that God has created for us a world in which we can create and live and love and be fruitful and multiply in this space where God has given to us. Because I also believe that we frequently see that safe place break down. And we see it break down because the created world is a beautiful place that is also incredibly powerful and totally beyond our control. And because sometimes we take this safe place that we have been given and we screw it up. And I believe that it is true that God has created for us a safe place, but that we frequently see that safe place break down. My friends, the world desperately needs people who are able to hold in tension truths that challenge one another. The world desperately needs people who are willing to hold truths in tension rather than just clinging to one. It is impossible to live in a world that suffers from floods, that suffers from tornadoes, that sees instances in the natural world that lay people's lives waste and to simply affirm that the creation is good. But the world needs people to help rebuild one another's lives when tragedy strikes, and those are people who can hold these truths in tension. In the face of mass shootings, there is a very practical application of this same idea. Our country is completely worn out from folks who wish to cling to one truth or another that exists far, far away from one another. What our country desperately needs is folks who have a mature and faithful enough sense of the world to see that the Second Amendment is not going away and that our country is at a point of absolute crisis in respect to guns. And we need to talk about those things together. And a willingness to put those kinds of truths into conversation with one another is much more difficult than clinging to one truth or another But that is the kind of mature and faithful conversation our world desperately needs. For we must help people when they suffer, and we must address the problems of our time. The beauty of the creation story 
is not that it offers simplistic truths that are not in conversation with one another and that exist without giving us any complicated questions to ask. The beauty of the creation story and the truths it presents is that they are honest, they are authentic, they stand the stretching that the world will offer to them. There's a story that has always meant a lot to me in terms of making sense of truth and the honesty that we need in the world where we live. It's a story by John Updike, a short story, and it starts with a little boy named Harold who is standing at the edge of the swimming pool. Harold looks into the deep water and he sees his father standing there in the water, arms outstretched, waiting to catch him. And all Harold remembers about this story as an adult is that what happened next is that suddenly he was all wet and he was gasping for air and someone angrily reached into the water and yanked him out, put him on the pool deck, started smacking him in the back and as he gasped for air and tried to get his breath, at some point he realized that he was out of the water. Looking back on that story, he doesn't remember much about the person who pulled him out of the water. But what he remembers is his father who invited him to jump, and that he learned over the course of his childhood that his father was someone who could be trusted. My friends, trust and truth is not built upon simplistic platitudes that cannot be defended when things get tough. Truth is built out of a word from our Creator who is honest with us, who tells us that the world is a safe place, and that word can be believed because that God stands by us when things fall apart. And we know that that God can be counted upon because God has been honest with us. And the world is safe enough out of that that in the midst of the challenges and the difficulties, we can have enough trust to keep jumping in.